are listening to Masks Off with host and life coach Kim Gross. My goal is to help people to go from people pleasing and perfectionism to powerful. I help you to uncover these patterns, own your shit, and remove these masks to live a more empowered life using my five step power pathway that takes you from people pleaser and perfectionist to powerful. Let's drop into this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Masks Off. I'm Kim, and I'm so excited to be here today with David. I have a guest on, and honestly, I can say that you are the first male I've had in a while. Oh, cool. Yeah, this is going to be really fun. (laughs) I, I love this. But before we jump into our conversation together, I'm going to start with a quote as I normally do. So the quote is, you must train your intuition. You must trust that small voice inside you, which tells you exactly what to say and what to decide. And that quote is by Ingrid Bergman. So thank you so much for being here, David. I'm so excited. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself in your own words? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like I love that quote and it does kind of summarize me. And, you know, my life has had so many different twists and turns. And it's really because I somehow learned how to follow my intuition. And, you know, so like when I was 30 years old, I was working in corporate banking two blocks from the White House. And I just decided that I found a Martha Beck book in the Borders bookstore at 17th and I'll remember the address and everything. And I was like, oh, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I cannot, even though I was supposed to, right? Grew up, you know, without a lot of money, single mom. I had made it, graduated from UC Berkeley. I was like, okay. And then DC, I'm a corporate banker. It was a very prestigious bank. And I just looked around and I was like, I can't, I can't actually do this. Like I could see myself 30 years down the road. And I was like, I'm just going to be mediocre and not very happy. And so I took the leap and I left the bank. And everybody thought I was crazy, including my family. And I went to go to go to grad school and become a teacher. And I taught in Oakland Public Schools, where I literally paid like $50,000 to get my master's degree from Stanford University. And then I took a job in Oakland that paid $37,000 a year. So like, I didn't even recoup my, <laughs> my one year of grad school. And, um, but yeah, so I basically took a massive pay cut and followed that intuitive leader within me, which was like, you're, you're a born teacher. Right. And so I'd always kind of felt that then I felt kind of disillusioned by the state of education. I was like, I can't see myself as a teacher because I had kind of bigger quote unquote, you know, ideas and beliefs for myself. So I kind of avoided it. And then when I turned 30, I became a teacher. And, and then once I followed that intuition, it's like, as you know, the universe starts kind of laying things out for you very seamlessly. So I found this great, I was in Oakland for a little bit, but it was a little too intense in terms of not the students, the students were amazing, but the bureaucracy and the, you know, the, the adults are just kind of miserable and it's a tough mm-hmm. system to be in, right? And so I felt like I needed to, I've always been kind of a system disruptor. So I went to the public charter school world and got into a charter school that was really quite ambitious. And we opened 10 schools in 10 years and got, um, ended up with a massive donation from Mark Zuckerberg in my 10th year with the organization. So we got 
money from Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and a lot of the um, philanthropists that people might have feelings about. But we did use their money to really change uh, thousands of kids' lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we had 10 schools that accepted every child regardless of background and every single one of them went to college. Most of them are first-generation college students. And so it was a massively <clears throat> purposeful job that I found, even though I thought I was supposed to be a banker and you know, have that comfort of the income. But I ended up doing that and feeling really enlivened and so excited. And, and then I decided when I turned 40, I decided something about the age turning 30 and 40. I felt like I was kind of back in the corporate world with this organization that was so amazing. But once we took all the money and we started getting more layered and, you know, you have to build your systems and structures. We had 10 schools. I became the chief schools officer. So I was like number two next to the CEO. And it was a great experience, but I didn't feel like, I felt like I was kind of back in the bank. Like I was back in the middle manager kind of pushing papers and I wasn't working with kids. So I decided to open my own school and we moved from the Bay Area to Sacramento. And I just went back to the grassroots and started recruiting families and meeting with moms at Starbucks and opened a K-8 school here in Sacramento. And then as I was going through that process, this is when I found Dr. Shapali. And within six months of working with her and doing the year of manifestation course, I had a massive health issue and ended up getting Bell's palsy, which it's not that bad, but it was pretty bad. I, I was basically like just had to sleep for six months. But what happened was the work with Dr. Shafali had actually opened up and awakened me to the point where the body was shutting down. It was like, you can't continue to go at this fast paced achievement. You got to slow down. So just the universe put me to rest for like six months. I had just opened the school. And at that point, I realized that I needed to stop working so hard and that led me to start doing coaching and teaching courses and kind of moving into more of like a coaching, spiritual guide type role. And I still do my education work and I'm starting a podcast about education. So I have a lot of irons in the fire, but I'm no longer doing it the way I used to do it, which was like at the expense of my health and at the expense of my family's, you know, everything at the expense of fill in the blank, right? So now I can do it with flow and find ways to just, follow my intuition about what I should be doing next and then not overthink it, not overdo it, not be stuck in all of the outcomes and just enjoy the process. So it's been a wild ride and I'm usually every three years I'm pivoting and doing something different and it's just, that's what I've always done. It's been super fun. Wow. Oh my goodness. There's so many things to say. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And I can connect with you on so many different levels, but I'm going to try to stay focused because this right. is masks off. And so I want to <laughs> talk about masks. I want to talk so much about education with you <laughs> and not that we can't, we, we can. Yeah. Um, but what I want to hone in on is the part when you said that you started doing a class with Dr. Shafali and you ended up having a health crisis and you realized that you had to do things differently. Yeah. What was going on for you? Like, was there an underlying pattern and was there a mask somewhere there? Yes, absolutely. It was the pattern of achievement was my drug. And so anybody who's listening, that's like an overachiever or a high performer. It's like, it becomes your drug, right? So it's like, I had to always be doing something to achieve in order to make myself feel whole. Mm. So it's like, 
going to Berkeley, going to Stanford, you know, it was like, I was never supposed to go to either any of those schools or be in any of these places. Like even being in DC, it's like, I was in the, in the, you know, the halls of power, like this poor kid that had shown up. And all of a sudden I was in these massively powerful places, like walking down the halls of Stanford. I just always felt like, oh, you're such a, uh, what's that called? The syndrome when you're the imposter Imposter. syndrome. Mm. I was like, you don't belong here. Like, this is a joke. Like, you know, you grew up on welfare. What are you doing here? And so I felt like the achievement was what made me feel safe. Like if I could continue to achieve. And so when I got on the, to this charter school that was so focused on achievement and getting the accolades and, you know, we had a massive vision. It was like reimagine public education, like change every single high school in America. That was our vision. That was it. Like that's massive, right? Every single high school will be different because of us. And actually the program we ran is now in 3000 high schools in the United States. So like, we had a very visionary leader and a lot of people that were very high achieving, but achievement became a drug for me. And as you know, when you're working with the, with the egoic mind and the ego, there's never enough. So once you hit that goal, you know, once I graduated from Stanford, then I had to work at the best school, you know, I had to work at the best school and I had to have the best this and the best that. And you're just always searching that next thing and it's futile and you end up, you know, burning the candle at both ends. So that was a big mask for me that I had to, had to really get to know and actually just totally love and just be like, you can be a high performer. I don't even like that term, but I think it's just an easy one to use. You can do what you love to do, you could say, and live a life of freedom and peace and flow. It doesn't have to be this thing where you're constantly trying to reach for the next achievement to get, you know, to feel whole. So I was able to work within myself to bring more wholeness to myself so that now when I do projects, it's not about the outcome and the status and all of that. It's literally just my essence coming through. That's beautiful. Brene Brown says to strive to do our best, not to perfect. Yeah. So there's a difference. It's striving is healthy. Perfecting and performing is unhealthy. Yes. That's I love Brene Brown. Yep. I love it. So then your story, do you mind sharing a little bit more about your story as a child? You alluded to it. You said you, you know, who, who oh, yeah. this welfare child to be walking yes. with Stanford, like, you know, what the yeah. heck? So what was that inner dialogue for you? And, and what was, where was that conditioning from? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, you know, growing up with a I was abandoned and abused as a young child. And that, that just created such a story of lack and not feeling whole that it was like, I had to, I had to like, basically there was a battle between the scared inner child that was abandoned and, you know, didn't feel safe, abused. And that child was constantly trying to drive the ship, right. Versus my highest self. That was like, no, we have big plans for you, you know? And so it was this constant battle and as you know, as I told you the stories of turning certain ages, it was like these, it's like the highest self one or the intuitive leader within these, like, no, we're, we're taking you in this direction. Right. But, um, you know, because I didn't have models as a child of going to college or being successful, that it was, it was just, it's like, it's like that a lot of entrepreneurs you'll meet will have these traumatic childhood childhoods. Right. And that drives them. It drives them to like prove to the world that they were worthy, that they are good enough, right? And so I had to reconcile those two kind of inner, that inner turmoil and, and realize that it wasn't about winning 
you know, winning on the achievement side. It's like you can have, you can have both. And so because my childhood was so traumatic, I did so much inner child work, obviously with Shafali's courses and so much work on the inner child. And like my inner child now, we are best friends. Mm. We have a conversation every day. And I, I, I see that fear is there to help you go to the next level and not, you know, it's not, it's not something that I reject anymore. I completely embrace it and love it. And it's like, yeah, I, I have reconciled and I saw that you had Janet Philbin on your, uh, one of your episodes and yeah, I have reconciled all versions of my inner, and there were a lot because it was quite a traumatic childhood. I reconciled all of them and we've all come together and we're all dancing in harmony now. And there's just not as much um, of that energy of that inner child fear. And, you know, that, so that little child that was so wounded is now feeling like, okay, I can be free. It's okay. I'm safe. If you are wondering, am I really a people pleaser? Or am I really a perfectionist? I can help you find those answers and discover what you can do about it right now to shift into your power. Or maybe you have an idea that you're a people pleaser or a perfectionist, but you're not sure to what extent you are one. You can find out more by taking the people pleaser and perfectionist quiz. The link is in the show notes. I love that you said that. And I'm going to go in another direction right now because cool. it's, yeah, it's something that's been, I mean, it's still the same direction, but it's something yeah. that's been up for me. So I recently read um, Michael Singer's book, Living Untethered. Oh, yes. So he talks about the samskaras. And you know what? I've heard this said in so many different ways. Tar Brock teaches on it. Dr. Shafali talks on it. They all talk on it. The wisdom teachers, they yep. just have like a little different way of labeling it and a little different language, but something happened or clicked when I finally heard his language. And it was just a culmination of all the healing work that I was doing. And all of a sudden it was like, boom. I understood the difference between being in the seat of the self versus mm -hmm. and being able to watch, be the watcher of mm -hmm. my thoughts yes. and my feelings. And it connected with what Tara Brock teaches all the time, which is that we are all the ocean. And then mm -hmm. our thoughts and feelings are the waves on the ocean. And all of a sudden I embodied that. So nice. now I'm like, and I'm doing all this work on helping people to heal their people pleaser and perfectionistic tendencies. Yes. So now I have this real like separation, this bird's eye view of mm -hmm. seeing when my patterns are coming up yep. and that they are truly my patterns of perfecting or people pleasing. It's yep. not who I am. Who yeah. I am is my essence, is the ocean, is the nature, is the energy that's in all of us. Yeah. So I can see that. Great, wonderful. So when the pattern comes up, it, I'm like, yes, opportunity to heal inner child. Let's go in and heal yeah. this pattern. So I go inward, I do my shadow work. I, you know, I integrate the inner child and the adult self and I do all that healing work. Yeah. And I feel the energy is released. Like, and I feel lighter. I feel clearer. My energy is flowing more. I feel more in my sovereignty. I feel more joy. Yeah. So here's the question. Yeah. I've got all that going on. And 
I still have the samskaras coming up. Mm -hmm. So is it your belief? Cause I heard you say like my, and my inner child and I are good too. Yeah. And I heard you say like, I healed a lot of components of my inner child. So the question is this, do you still see patterns from your childhood, your wounding? Mm -hmm. And if, and I guess, and if not, do you believe or feel that there is a completion to that? Or are we always yeah. for a lifetime going to be seeing the patterns and it's just opportunity to become more and more evolved Yeah. in this lifetime? What's your thoughts on that? Oh my gosh. I love this question so much. I love it. I love it. It's like the question. So there's absolutely no completion. There's absolutely no completion, mm -hmm. right? We've incarnated to schoolroom earth as one of my teacher calls it. Like we're here to learn what we need to learn from multiple past lifetimes and all that good stuff. And so as we're going through this process, there's always another, you know, I see it as just like a video game. I don't even play video games, but I don't know why it works <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm like another I'm like, level, like Donkey Kong, right? You go up. Yeah, exactly. I just, I kind of see it as that. Like, you know, when I first started doing this work seven years ago and what I've noticed with men, I don't know if you'll agree or men will be offended, but we, because we're so disembodied from our body and our emotions and been conditioned that when we start doing this type of work, it's like accelerated, right? Mm. Because it's like, oh, okay. We're going to actually listen to our bodies and really start feeling and, you know, doing all the things that we're conditioned not to do. It's like it accelerates, right? Yep. And so I've been doing the work really intensely for seven years. And what I've seen is that like, it was so accelerated for those first two years with Dr. Shafali that like, that's why I had so many health problems. It was just like massive, massive growth, right? And so much healing. And as the time has gone on, now it's like a little bit less, a little bit less, but so it, it my belief is that the universe will give you exactly what you need to up level at that moment. And where it gets tricky is that we go into the egoic mind and that convinces us that it shouldn't happen or why is this happening or whatever, right? We go into the story. And so what I've been really focusing on is everything's just happening and, you know, it's just happening at this moment and it's supposed to be happening. And so one story that I like to share that kind of embodies this is, I love basketball and I didn't play for a long time because I was in this fear of like getting injured and everyone told me, oh, when you turn 35 and you can't play basketball and this and that. Well, I found a basketball league with men that are like 40, 50, 60, even some in their 70s. I've been playing for years. And so I'm having tons of fun with basketball. And when I was going through a really intense healing around like, you know, some of the pain from my childhood, I had my tooth almost knocked out. And the moment it happened, automatically I was like, oh my gosh, $5,000 dental work. Like I thought my tooth was on the ground. Like I was already going into the story and the fear. And then I was like, wait, oh, before the game, interestingly enough, intuition told me just make this whole game a meditation. Like don't, like don't go into the mind, just literally be in your heart and just be in play and fun. And like, like I think I just had a feeling something was going to happen. So I was like, okay. So I just was like really disconnected from any stories. I was like in flow. And you know, it's easier when you're kind of playing sports and you're in your body. So I was able to just be out of the stories. And then the moment it happened, you know, it was super painful. And I was looking on the ground for where's my tooth. And then it turned out that the tooth had just actually gotten knocked. My front tooth had gotten knocked in. So I thought, okay, this is, this is definitely like happening for a reason. There's probably some like old 
feeling that I'm working on with like broken bones or something with teeth. And it's just like, this is not a bad thing. And so the pain wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I was like shaking, you know, it was in a lot of like, you know, shock and trauma. I just grabbed the phone. I called my dentist. And they're like, great. We'll meet you at the office at 11 PM. I went in and they shoved my tooth back up in. And after it happened, he's like, I've been a dentist for 30 years and I've never had somebody not scream when I do that. And I looked at him and I was like, it's called mindfulness and meditation. Like I've been in a meditative state for six hours. So when you pushed my tooth in, it was not something like I was in no resistance. So it feels to me like if we can find a way to not be in resistance to the now moment, to what's happening right now, even though the mind has been trained to regularly convince you that it's in control when it's not, then you can start to actually find your freedom. And, and the part I love about your question the most is that in the spiritual community, when we're doing the healing work, we can get really stuck on like healing too much. If that's, if that's even the way of saying it, like getting so into like healing your inner child, healing and going in there and going in there and going in there. And you're actually missing reality and life as it's happening. Like I didn't go through a whole process of like, okay, why did I, you know, why, why did my tooth get knocked out? And what was I feeling? It was just kind of like, okay, it's happened. Now let's just sit and be quiet and wait for the next thing that I need to do. And, you know, the dentist told me I couldn't play for six months. And I was like, okay, let's see what the intuitive guidance says. Intuitive guidance is like, take a week off. <laughs> so <laughs> like, okay, not listening Usually to external authority. Intuitive guidance and not the mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, the mind probably was tricking me, but no, the intuition said like, you'll be fine. Go back, you know, take a couple yeah. weeks off. And, um, but yeah, so I was like, I'm not trusting the dentist on this one. Cause of course he's going to say, he was like, unless you can wear a full like max, like metal oh, max. <laughs> but anyway, so I think that story illustrates how, um, you know, we take the, the real simple things that happen in life and we make them so complex and then we can, we can get into this. It's so nuanced because we can get into this, um, like healing process that takes us away from the actual reality of the moment. And we can start to get confused. Um, you know, which I love Aaron Atkey, who's a teacher that I started following not too long ago. He's a pretty young guy, but you can check him out on YouTube. He's, he's just kind of taken off on YouTube and he talks about the spiritual ego. And how your spiritual, and he's like, that's not even a term, but he's like, it just, it helps a lot of us, you know, but it's, it's where we can kind of like spiritualize everything and start to lose just what's the reality of right now, what's happening and just eliminate the story and just be like, that's what's happening right now. My teeth just got almost knocked out. I'm in pain. And now let's see what happens. I would, I would agree. And I love that you said that. And one of my coaches that I worked with before an intuitive coach, she would always say, Kim, stop excavating. She's like, stop picking yes. at the wounds. Stop. Just yes. let it be, yes. let it be, you know? Yes. And yes. what I'm like speaking on is not that I'm going and looking for something to pick okay. at or to dig. Okay. What I'm speaking on is like, I just, you know, I'm in the moment and I notice an energy within me. And so for me, often, let me just say the way it's been showing up a lot lately is under the perfection mask. It's the self-doubt piece. Okay? Yep. I'm growing a business. So I'm doing a lot of things that are oh, yeah. FFPs, as Brene Brown calls them first fucking time. I'm doing a <laughs> lot of yes. things 
that are FFTs, Me right? <laughs> so it, there's a lot of self-doubt that oh, is yeah. up. And yet I believe that the experiences that are happening, whatever's happening in the moment is for my growth, is to yes. help me heal that part of me that has the self-doubt. Because like I share the story all the time, how when I was um, eight years old, I remember going to the playground that was near my elementary school. Yeah. And I don't know why I did this or any of my peers did it. It was probably the stupidest thing in the world, but there was a six inch ledge that went around the whole building and the ledge was about 10 feet off the ground. To this day, I don't know how we got up there to begin with it. Like the ledge mm -hmm. was like right below these oh, wow. windows. Mm -hmm. We would get up there and then scale the building. <laughs> like it was for fun, right? But I used to think like, Oh my God, I'm so freaking like powerful. Like I felt yes. like a woman because I could get up here and who scales a building? Like, you know, other than like Spider-Man or something. You know? So I thought I had these yes. powers. And that same like feeling of scaling the building or the first time when I was skiing or doing, you know, ice skating and really nailing it and accomplishing it and like having that inner sense of, of empowerment would eventually like got dwindled away because mm -hmm. of societal conditioning yep. messages that I received that I wasn't enough the way I yep. was. And so that got eroded, weared away mm -hmm. little by little by little to where all this self-doubt started piling in, piling in over the years. Yep. So yep. now I'm doing things for the FFT first time yeah. And it's coming up. It's I'm yes. not going and looking for it, but it's coming yes. up in the yes. moment. So I have a choice in that moment. I can push that energy back down mm -hmm. and ignore it, or I can transmute it as Michael Singer talks about in Living Untethered. Yes. And so I'm choosing to transmute it so that yes. it can heal and be released. My only question or my part of my question was, it's like, it, sometimes it's exhausting. It's like, when the fuck yeah. is it going to end? You know what I mean? Like how many yes, no, I know. of it? Yes. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. And I like Aaron Apke and some of the other non-dual teachers that one of my friends follows. And she's kind of got me onto him, uh, onto different non-dual teachers. But the one, I interviewed one from my podcast called Helen Hamilton. And she, I asked her, what do you do with the thoughts and you know not enoughness and lack and self-doubt and she talked about how as she's gotten more and more to the direct path of connecting with who you really are your essence that this energy used to be right in front of her face yeah and as she's continued really just staying in this like meditative you know she calls it the um i can't remember what she called but the field then um you know it's now like that that energy's up in the balcony and it's got a really quiet voice so I was like, well, how, so I asked her like, what, so what do you do when those thoughts come? Right. And so I'm going to invite for you and your listeners, what she told me, which I think is an interesting thing, which I practice and it completely changed my life, which is, um, you mentioned that moment that the thought comes up or the feeling of self-doubt and that you have a choice. Right. And so her recommendation is rather than enmesh with the thought and Aaron Alpke talks about this is like an empty house and a burglar. So, you know, if a burglar goes into an empty house, he's going to leave. 
So if a negative thought or the feeling of self-doubt goes into an empty, a mind that's not going to enmesh, the pain body is not going to be fed, then the thought just dissipates, right? Or the feeling dissipates. So what she taught teaches for 45 days is to rather than doing anything with the thought or the feeling, when it's a lack, when it's a when it's like you know, lack or not enoughness, is to literally not do anything, but just to like breathe and just watch it pass by. And then I asked her, I'm like, what about sending it love? You know, because in the inner sangha, we taught like we teach, like, you know, come to that thought, get you know, ask your child, like your inner child, what does it need? And like really love it, right? And she's like, Well, that is necessary in the process, but at some point it's not necessary. And her point was we can do that for too long. And we start to, and that's where the spiritual ego comes in. And it tricks you into constantly, basically you're feeding your pain body without realizing it. So the self-doubt comes up and then you're, you're transmuting it, which is great. But there's a point when you at your, during your spiritual practice where you can actually say, I'm going to go direct. I'm not playing any games with anything. And I'm just literally going to like close my eyes, take a deep breath, connect with the source, know that I'm one with the source. There's no lack that everything's perfect. You know, I am, this is, I'm just an emanation of the source and like breathe. And that burglar thought has nowhere to go. There's nothing to latch onto. And you do that over and over and over. And all of a sudden you notice that the thoughts are up in the balcony instead of right in front of your face. That's beautiful. I love that. And that is so helpful because I do see at this point where it is just, thought coming in and Michael Singer does talk about that in the book too like thoughts just coming in you know and and it's the same thing as the ocean and the waves so it's just knowing that the way that thought I just knowing that I am the ocean and this thought of self-doubt is just a wave it's not who I am coming in and sometimes like on the ocean sometimes you can go and it's really calm you know waves are small and then other times the waves are hurricane-like, you know, and maybe those hurricane-like waves, maybe they need a little yes. bit more, but when they're just kind of come, just let them pass by. Yeah. And I think the other really important point is that, you know, I started with Michael Singer, like I went from Shafali and then I found his, you know, the surrender experiment and untethered soul. And I like devoured them. You know, this was like five, six years ago. And what I think is important to know is that when you start to, if the thought won't go away, if the burglar keeps coming back to your house, like, yeah. oh, there's something here for him, right? So that's when you can discern and really follow your intuition and be like, oh, this is actually a nugget that needs to be healed. It yeah. needs to be loved, right? And so I feel like, but if we start to really observe our thoughts and like to your point of the waves, it's like a lot of those waves just want to go by and we we kind of, you know, attach to them. And so it's like, let's just let so many of them go by. And then the one that keeps coming back over and over, you're like, oh, okay that is the one that now needs some love and care. And like, I need to go into my healing process, but it's like, you wait for that moment where it feels like, Oh, this is a real one. Like this is real. Um, or you, or, or, you know, something happens to you, like your tooth gets almost knocked out or, you know, some yeah. life event happens to you. Cause it's like, Hey, we've been trying to subtly give you this healing message for a while. And you've been ignoring it. Cause there, you can go in the opposite direction, right? You can ignore what yes. needs to be healed and spiritually bypassed. So it's very nuanced and it's all about getting to know yourself so well, following your self-care practices, making sure that your mind is not overly active and that you're just like deep in your heart so that you can, like, I know now which voices, which energy, which thoughts are ones that need to be 
dealt with and ones that are just trying to pull me off of, you know, are trying to keep me safe and play the game that you don't play so well. And I'm not so always, glad. not always, but most not always. But I am so glad that you made that extra point of saying if the burglar keeps coming back, then that's <laughs> a good like indication or a red flag, like maybe this needs a little extra here. So that yeah. was really good that you added that extra point. So to kind of like wrap up, I yeah. always ask all the guests five rapid fire questions. Oh, cool. And you know what? I'm gonna um I'm gonna add in a different one because it's so funny. So before we got on the call, I was going to ask you if, before we started recording, I was going to ask you if you are a basketball fan, if you follow NBA and I, I chose not to, I chose just to go right in. And then you talk about basketball because literally 10 minutes before I was checking my phone and just saw that Steve Nash was just fired from the Nets and the Nets <gasps> is my favorite team. Literally. Oh my gosh. I love Steve Nash. Yeah. He just got fired. So my number one question for you for rapid fire is who is your favorite NBA team? Like, okay. I thought you said my favorite coach, my favorite NBA team. I'm a local guy, Sacramento Kings, but my favorite coach is Phil Jackson. Phil because Jackson. Look what of he course. did with all the like mindfulness and yes. Lakota Sioux and all the stuff he used. And he brought into the NBA and way like, before it was doing it way before I know way before this was getting popular so exactly. he was definitely ahead of the curve for sure yeah Phil Jackson definitely and so okay Sacramento Kings um side note there's so I'm from a small town in upstate New York Clifton Park New York uh -huh. and um Kevin Herter who played for the Atlanta Hawks was just traded to the Sacramento yeah, Kings he's, yeah. he's from Clifton Park, New York, from where I live. Oh, wow. That's so yeah. cool. That's really cool. He's yeah. awesome. So he's the real tall redhead. So you have to, you, when you see yeah. him playing, you can think of that. What's your favorite food? My favorite food would be any kind of Italian food. So like pasta, spaghetti, lasagna, all that good stuff. I don't eat it as much anymore, but that's my favorite. Same. For sure. <laughs> if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? I would go to... That's a really good question. South America, but I'm, I don't know the name of like the best beach in South America, but that's where I'd go. Okay. The best beach in South America. Best beach in South America. <laughs> what's your favorite? I think I know the answer, but I'll ask anyway. What's your favorite way to take care of yourself? Favorite way to take care of myself is to literally sit in silence and do absolutely nothing. I thought it, along the lines of mindfulness. Yes. Yep. Can you name one book that changed your life? Yes, so many. I would say the surrender experiment. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's great. It, it was literally like mind blowing for me. Mm. And and his story, like there's so many like similarities in terms of him doing all these things he never thought he would do, mm. like becoming a CEO of like a billion dollar company or whatever the story was. It's like that's kind of how my life is unfolding now. I'm not trying, but these things are just coming into my space, and it's like it's just unfolding so magically. And I, I feel like it was no coincidence that was like the second or first spiritual book I ever read after Shafali's class or during her class. And it was like no coincidence. Yeah, no coincidences at all. And last question, you've already given a bunch of real golden nuggets, but if do you have one tip or takeaway for the listeners? Yeah, what I always share is trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself. And I feel like we've been so conditioned to not do that. And as we as we've been talking about, when you go into these you know, when you go into lack and not enough and scarcity, you really can convince yourself not to trust yourself, right? So find everyone, I tell this to all the kids I work with and anybody I coach, anybody I talk to is like, 
trust yourself, trust your intuition, try it out. I always say like for 10 days, 20 days, a certain amount of days, just follow your intuition for everything for like 10 days. See what happens. Don't let fear dictate. Just do it for 10 days. It's, it'll literally change your life. You'll be like, whoa, I could live like this every day. This is so much fun. <laughs> oh, what that's, that is a, a great takeaway for sure. I love that one. So how can the listeners get in touch with you? They want to find you. Yeah. So davidkrichards.com. Very simple. My name with a K, davidkrichards.com. So everything's on there. Um, like I said, there's a new podcast coming out for educators. I really got intuition basically said to me, you need to focus on healing and helping education. You really got to get your um, energy focused on educators because it's been a really tough time for them and the serving professions in general, right? Like they give so much and they don't really know how to take care of themselves. So that podcast is coming out soon. And then I do one-to-one coaching and um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all. It's all on the website. And I'll have all that information in the show notes as well. I'll have your bio and I'll have how they can contact you. Wow. This was an incredible conversation. I really enjoyed it. It was so good. It was great to meet you and um, I enjoyed having you on. Likewise. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Masks Off and I will see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to take the next step to overcoming your people-pleasing and perfectionistic tendencies, reach out to me at kimgrosscoaching.com for a free discovery call. Also, if you liked what you heard today, I would love it if you subscribed or left a review. And remember, remove your masks and create the life that you desire.